Nobody questions things in this country anymore. Nobody wants to rock the boat. It's all bullshit, folks. It's all bullshit, and it's bad for you. But we believe them because they're pounded into our heads from the time we're children. Children should be taught to question everything, to question everything they read, everything they hear. Welcome to Question Culture with Brian and Lornette. On each episode, Lornette and I will be discussing and questioning conventional wisdom about a topic we believe is important. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Q Culture. That's Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. There we share the links to the documentaries, articles, and books we reference on each episode. On today's episode, we will be discussing socialism. How's it going, Lornette? Hey, Brian. How's it going? Lornette Vestal. Uh, how's it going, um, all our, our listeners? Uh, we're we're happy to have you and happy new year our first episode of the year and we are starting off with a bang with uh socialism <laughs> so uh thank you all for hanging in there all, all 10 of our listeners that uh <laughs> um have been hanging on with us for year three now so this is crazy um seems like we just started this but it's been it's been almost three years so uh happy new year everybody and uh thanks for uh, checking us out and if you can can Please write us a review on Spotify or um, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to us at. Just you know, write a new nice review. You know, give us two or three stars. Give us five stars. I don't know if you really like us because uh, that um, shares with more people and then you know makes us more visible. We're completely independent. We don't have a Patreon page, so we're not trying to get money for you can hear our thoughts and stuff like that. We don't call ourselves journalists because we're not journalists. We're just two guys with a microphone. Uh, who decided to do this podcast um, finally you can check out the Evolving Man uh, Project website uh, where I deep dive into some of the topics like the one we're talking about today and uh, other um, guest contributors including you can find the uh, Question Culture podcast there you can follow me on, on Twitter at Evolving Man LBV you can also follow me on Facebook um, my public page is Lornet Vestal and I link a, a lot of stuff including the Question Culture podcast to those um, social media accounts and last but not least, got to do it, the shameless plug for my debut novels, Even the Faders and I and Alphas, which we will be having a special edition cover come out uh, just in time for Black History Month. So if you like sci-fi, you like um, <laughs> books with unconventional characters and villains and people of color as heroes, um, well, I got the sci-fi action adventure for you. So yeah, sci-fi action adventure fantasy type book. So check it out, uh, written by my co-lovely uh, wife, Bernita Haynes, who was a guest star on our Supreme Court podcast. So, socialism. Yeah, this is a, uh, it's a funny topic because I bet, you know, the people's interpretations of it can vary widely. I mean, as we'll get into, it's becoming more and more popular with younger generations, um, but I'm sure for a lot of older generations you know it's like one of the most like demonized evil word like evil socialism is going to get you you know it might as well be the boogeyman um but to us and i'm sure to a lot of people that listen to this podcast um we're probably i mean i i i don't know if i do you consider yourself a socialist like do you put that label on yourself um because i definitely personally i see it as like a good first step um 
but I'm not like, I don't know. I know like a lot of people that I follow online are like communists and stuff. And, you know, maybe just personally, I need to read more communist theory. I'll admit that I was a little more on the history side and a little less political theory. So I definitely have plans to read more about this. But I think the reason that you and I wanted to do the podcast was it's socialism, at least in like common discourse on like the mainstream media, is like such a, a you know, a demonized, you know, villainized kind of word. Um, and I don't think it should be that way because to me, socialism makes a lot of sense, at least, in, you know, as we're going to describe it and get into it here. How do you uh, how do you feel about that? I guess I never even asked you about that. Yeah, all these years we know each other. Um Basically, uh, I, you know, I refer to my political ideology as egalitarian, which means, you know, I believe all uh, people are equal, um, no matter their race, color, creed or uh, gender or gender expression, uh, whatever that be. But if I had to, like, kind of pin down my political philosophy, uh, <laughs> I guess it would be a combination of uh, Fred Hampton, uh, Malcolm X and Dr. King and, and Huey P. Newton and Che Guevara. So. I guess in some ways that would definitely make me um, lean towards uh, socialism uh, or socialist. The only reason I don't say, you know, commie or, or communist or, or comrade, uh, I make it I, sometimes I'd be like, I'm a communist uh, just to piss people off because you're like, oh, my God, social, <laughs> communism, USSR, you, Hitler and Stalin killed all those people. And I'm like, oh, yeah, OK, let's let's back away now. Uh, Hitler, was, they were fascists. So it's, it's told very opposite of socialist. And definitely opposite of communists. And then like communism didn't work. Well, maybe those, maybe it would have if we didn't like fucking bomb the shit out of those countries. But I digress. Uh, my political philosophy is like, I would say, um, if egalitarian, but also like socialist. I mean, I did some like online tests, and they were like, I was a, a left wing libertarian. So, <laughs> okay, <laughs> which meant um, I was just meant like I wasn't like I didn't want any government involved in our private life. But I thought government should be. Um, providing the social safety net and things of that nature. So I'm not like a, a right-wing libertarian where it's just like, we don't need government to do anything except for the cops and the military. <laughs> cops to protect my except private people property. people protect my property. <laughs> protect my private property and also, you know, go expand, you know, resources for the empire because we can just take, take, take. But if you need the fire department, fuck you. And if you get sick, your little kid gets sick with leukemia, well, you know, they should have been born to a rich family because I'm not paying for their health care. That's socialism. I even had some libertarian asshole be like, this, this is how right-wing these fuckers are, especially on Twitter now that Elon fucks has taken over. Some guy was like, I don't even need you fucking vets paying for your vets' health care. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm pretty sure he's some asshole who like, probably has like some support to truth, truth's flag or some shit and be like, thank you for your service. But on, online, he's like, fuck you guys. <laughs> so... I think we should start the episode just by defining the term socialism. And so uh, according to the Oxford Dictionary, socialism is a political and economic theory of social organization, which advocates that the means of production, distribution and exchange should be owned or regulated by the community as a whole. So by that definition, I would definitely label myself a socialist. And I kind of am almost shocked that like when you put it that way, you know, and maybe most people would, you know, say they're socialist if the word wasn't so demonized. But I'm a firm believer that you cannot have democracy unless you have democracy within the economy. So, you know, just as we see in the United States, you can pretend to, you know, I'm all for democracy, democracy. But if you stop short at finances, if you stop short at money, 
then you really don't have any kind of democracy because it's impossible if, and we talked about this a little bit on our capitalism show, how business is completely control, you know, it's a completely fascist institution in that there's one person who, or you can call it a feudal system, I guess, if that sounds nicer to you. But it's just a system where you do as your bosses, you do as you're told, or you're fired and you lose your livelihood. So there's no democracy in that. And I totally think the world would be a shit ton better place if we had a say in how in these places that we worked at. Oh, exactly. Like you know, a prime example uh, been this week, I'm sorry to cut you off, is speaking about how kind of fascist and corrupt uh, corporations are. Um, I, people who know me personally know, um, and there might be some people who listen to the podcast might be surprised. But, um, you know, we all have our, uh, I don't even call it a guilty pleasure. I just enjoy it because uh, we're all human and we got to have shit we enjoy. So I like playing video games. I like reading comic books. Um, the comic book movies and shows are starting to kind of get on my nerves because they're taking themselves too seriously and making them very boring. <laughs> but another thing I like is pro wrestling. Um, so, you know, I, I technically, if I had the time and my wife wasn't annoyed, I'd probably watch like all the different wrestling shows. But obviously the biggest wrestling company is uh, World Wrestling uh, Entertainment. And their CEO, Vince Mann, was disgraced back in the summertime of 2020 uh, when it came to light that he had, you know, um, he had sexually harassed and basically been paying employees that he's been having affairs with over the years. And this guy is like 70 years old, in the 70s, late 70s. And he's been doing this for years and like pay over like 12 or 15 million dollars in hush money to you know keep it quiet and stuff like that. And all this stuff came out. And there's other sh- stuff about him. So he's like any, like we said in our capitalist episode, any like CEO, billionaire type. Um, you're going to see how many bodies and people they fucked over to get to the top. And this guy just came back to his to the company and because he owns like 80% of the shares. And you do like you, you've been like creating, you've been harassing your workers and just creating a toxic environment. And then you just waltz back in because you're like, you're rich. So there's no say so the the workers, whether that's the pro wrestlers or the people, production crew or other management and stuff have no, no say. And then the Kenneth man come back or not. And it's just like, I think if you're, you know, if you're running the business or even a, or any organization and you're abusing your power by like, you know, having sex or forcing yourself upon your subordinates, uh, that's abusing, that's abuse of power. It's not like him and his wife had like an open relationship and these were, you know, consensual. These are his workers. So they, they probably had no, they probably felt like they had to like do something to stay with the company or be like blacklisted out of the, you know, that industry if that's what they done all their lives. So it's just, it just shows you on the capitalism and there's a, a great definition. Well, that's just one example about how like capitalism works and how people with power and lots of money can get away with regular stuff we do. Cause it's like, Brian, just me and you if, at our job. If, you know, if anybody accused us of like sexual harassment or harassment in anything, me and you would probably be fired. But if we were the CEO of the company, we could just be like, oh, I'm, I took a few months off and reflected, and now I'm back. I did I did a yoga and got, got an anger management class. <laughs> well, that's why I advocate for the, you know, the democratization of the workplace is because people shouldn't – power will corrupt anyone and everyone. So we should build a system that doesn't allow people to have that power to get into situations like that, like that in the first place. That's why, you know – 
again, we talked about this on the capitalism episode, but every time I talk about this, I'm always like accused of hating the rich. And like, I don't hate rich people. I would be them if I was in their certain their circumstance. I think we need to create a system that doesn't allow power to be consolidated like that. You know, we're all we're all against like hoarders and find hoarding hoarding to be so weird. But if someone just hoards all the wealth and resources, money, somehow that's okay. Like, it makes no sense. Well, there's this uh, great quote um, from the it's called the, uh, from the Cree Nation. And it's like, only after the last tree is cut down, only after the last river is poisoned, only after the last fish has been caught, only then will men realize that money cannot be eaten. So it's just like, you know, you can have all this money and stuff like this, but if everything goes to shit, you know, what are you going to eat? And I think before we get into like the meat and the potatoes of this uh, podcast, we need to define a couple other things uh, just for folks can kind of know um, what we're talking about. So... We got to, you know, kind of define capitalism and capitalism is a system based on private ownership of resources and means of production and individual choices of a in a free market. They always say free market, (laughs) which is bullshit because it's always (laughs) manipulated every time. Every 10 years, this country is we'll get we'll get to that. So let me basically means free to enslave. (laughs) Exactly. And then we got to talk about communism because socialism and communism are intimately linked. Um, They're like peanut butter and jelly. But communism is a form of socialism based on the writings of German philosopher and economist Karl Marx. In a fully realized communist society, all property and goods are commonly owned by society without government or class divisions. In such a society, production and distributions of goods is handled according to Marx uh, from each according to his ability and to according to his own needs. Last but not least, democratic socialism, which really got popular under the um, with the rise of popular popularization or pop culture phenomenon that was Bernie Sanders. It's kind of sad to see where he's at nowadays. I mean, it's just like Biden won and no one's a fighter. The, all the Democrats and so-called progressives had just rolled over. Um, but when Trump was president, they were all like, yeah, let's go to fucking war. Now that Biden's president, oh, we got to just play along and this is the best we can do. But I digress. Democratic socialism is a form of socialism which emphasizes both the economic economy and society should be run democratically that the goal is to meet the uh, needs of all people, not just the rich few. Some socialists argue that socialism does not necessarily require the government to run everything. Instead, business institutions should be run by those workers and consumers that are affected by them. This could be implemented, for example, such as a worker-run cooperative or publicly-owned enterprises managed by the workers and consumer uh, representatives. So, those are a little bit more definitions. So um, as we are talking, because these things will be uh, used interchangeably. Yeah. And that's where I want to. Um, well, for one, I just want to say that I, to me, democratic socialism is kind of like capitalism light. <laughs> like It's like we still want to, you know, have capitalism, but like we believe in a strong social net, you know, net. So, again, I agree with that compared to what we have now. But I would just see that as a stepping stone. And that's oh, where, yeah. if if there's anyone listening to this podcast, and I, and I really want to talk to my cousin about this a little, a little more and maybe have him on the podcast, because I know he actually went to school for like political theory, political science and read a lot of theory and stuff. But w- what I'm interested in is, because I agree with, from what I understand about communism, so you start with socialism and you have workers take control of the means of production, then you slowly communalize or nationalize or whatever word you want to describe put people in charge so instead of the private industry and you slowly do that one by one 
getting rid of the financial incentives in different industries until eventually, once everything is in that, then money loses all meaning and you can get rid of it. You can get rid of markets, which I'm full on and I fully support and I'm on board with. The part that I'm kind of in the dark about is I've read books about like natural resource or infinite state economies that they kind of have a plan for what you do once you get to that point where there's no more money. And that kind of makes sense to me where I don't understand it. Like from what I've read about Karl Marx and and, uh, Lenin and everything, I agree with that with with all that. And I agree with the communism thing. But then what happened? I guess maybe I need to learn more history. What happened to the corruption of communism being instated in the USSR? But then it gets corrupted to the point where it is like this overarching government body that has a lot of the similar characteristics of capitalism. Is that just natural corruption from constantly having the rest of the world attacking you? So as like a defense mechanism, they kind of went into those things. But I would like to learn more about that. So if anyone, you know, knows a lot about that topic, I would definitely... uh, um, like to hear about it. Yeah, do you get I, what I'm saying? Do you? Kind I get, of I get what you're saying. Like, kind of the USSR in some aspects, um, kind of acted um, similar to the United States and kind of like being an imperial power uh, during being the, an imperial power, having like the KGB, like secret police. Like my idea, from what I understand, what communism should be like. I don't think there should be a KGB. Like exactly, exactly. So it's just like kind of like a, a way to control power. Um, yeah, I, I think we don't have in mo- in modern times and just the way our economy is modeled in it. And I think uh, with colonialism and that kind of um, Western economic system being foisted upon everybody, uh, all cultures, whether they liked it or not, due to colonialism, and this is like 500 years, we've kind of been conditioning this. So we can't even imagine a world post this. Um, so I, I guess we can, I guess we'll, we'll kind of, break these down when we talk about breaking down the myths um as we and and, well and i think it's a perfect example of you know when you and i criticize capitalism we're we're like you know oh you're marxist you're marxist and like i've i've read you know way back when in college i read the communist manifesto and agreed with a lot of it but i'm not like i don't think like i'm not constantly like reading marx and things and i I forgot who it was but someone had that quote like i haven't read anything but carl about karl marx but i have the marks of capitalism all over my body (laughs) and i thought that you know that that perfectly kind of like sums up like you know it's kind of used like these demon these buzzwords are like used to like demonize just trying to question the economic system and i think that shows that it might be the most ingrained like form of of indoctrination that just like questioning the economic system at all is met with like such fury you know it's it's pretty insane but um from what i have learned i do just want to recommend to people if you want to learn more about socialism and how kind of the theory of how capitalism operates i would check out uh dr richard wolf who's a Harvard economist, but unlike most uh, Harvard economists who are super pro-capitalist, he actually questions it and is very uh, pro-socialist and things. Oh, that guy's awesome. Yeah, he's awesome. We'll share some videos on our page. He's the shit. Um, Very well-spoken and very clear and makes you understand things in a very relatable way, even if you don't, you know, normally listen to like economics and theory and things like that. And then, as always, I've referenced him a thousand times on his podcast. Peter Joseph also does a great job of kind of breaking down the fundamental laws of capitalism and how market economies work at their core. So, yep. Oh, no, those are good, good recommendations. And uh, kind of thinking about kind of Marx and, you know, I, I read him um, pre-college 
um, while I was in the service and then also kind of in college and then even after. And, you know, there's a demonization of Marx, you know, they're like, you're a Marxist and, you know, socialists or communists. They're all interchangeable in American society um, because, like, you know, it was associated with the USSR and, like, you, they want to take away freedom and all this stuff. And actually, you know, it's the exact opposite. But think about Marx. The one thing that did, has irritated me, and this is coming um, from fellow leftists and, and, and really kind of those who are more acad- academic or um, in bourgeoisie type of uh, leftists who like they're all about theory, 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 theory. And like, you know, they they will break down like their type of Marxism or uh, communist um, or socialist leanings and be like, I'm a Trotskyist now. I'm a Leninist. Well, you know, we're the true Marxists. No, they, we 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 read angles also. So we're, we're really, really into it. It's like, you know, th- that's great that you can sit and read theory and stuff like that and, and, and be in that theoretical thing and kind of break up what type of you know, true, you know, you're the real, you know, communist or you're the real Marxist or you're the real socialist, blah, 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 blah. But like for everyday working people and everyday people struggling, I have a sense that, you know, the society that we live in, especially currently as it is, climate change, uh, wealth inequality, uh, homelessness, uh, endless war. They know something's wrong and they want to change it. And if you're basically telling people to read theory, like you said, um, I might not have read Marx, but I know the Marx of capitalism all over me. So you don't have to like be a fucking scholar because I think some of these folks um, in, in leftist circles, not all, but there's a, there's a, there's some, we see them on Twitter. I've met them in real life. I've organized with people over the years, especially when I lived in Chicago uh, and I met these types and, and they will be in the weeds about like their type of political philosophy, even though it's kind of like generally we all agree on the same thing that we have to change this fucking system. But instead, we have to go break down who's the Trotskyist, who's who, you know, who's a who's a tanky and all this other shit. <laughs> and, and it's just it's just so fucking it, it's it, it it's just like goes into it, it devolves into like us versus them. When we like we're, we're leftists are like a smaller number globally. And we have everybody in the middle and then we have the fascists and the capitalists and the religious nuts who, you know, have an unholy alliance. That's unstable, but they make it work because they all, you know, agree to like these institutions that keep them in power. So we have to fight against that and we shouldn't be fighting against each other. So, you know, if you are organizing and you're being like, well, you haven't read this and this and that. Uh, well, you know, you can do education. You can teach people and stuff. Don't just be like elitist and be like, well, you don't know it. They don't know it. No, well, then, then teach them. And that's what, you know, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Black Panthers a little bit later. Um, and that's what they did. Yeah, and there and there's kind of two main myths I want to break about Karl Marx too. I think it's you know he's been so demonized. I think there's this myth that like like communism and socialism didn't exist, and then Karl Marx came like Moses down from a hill with you know the Communist Manifesto, and all of a sudden it like spread across the world. When that was not the case, socialism and communism were already very popular ideologies all across the globe, not just in Russia, in Europe. Because Karl Marx, I don't even think a lot of Americans know this, Karl Marx was German, and he lived in England for a lot most of his life. He lived in France for a while. Um, so, he, you know, he wasn't this Russian, like, Moses who just came down with this. It would just so happen that he was a, um, a, uh, a journalist and a sociologist. And he was very, you know, well-spoken and well-written, So he and he was a proponent of these topics, so he wrote about them. And because he was so well-spoken, you know, it, it caught on, and people, revolutionaries all around the world have used these ideas. 
And personally, I see why, you know, his ideas became so popular in Revolution, because I remember in college, you know, I, I think it, it's good to read everything, you know, read things you agree with, read things you disagree with. And I read Karl Marx, uh, you know, Das Kapital and uh, Communist Manifesto. And then I also read Adam Smith's um, The Wealth of Nations, which is, you know, like capitalists like version of the Bible. You know, that's their Karl Marx <laughs> yeah. Communist Manifesto. And just personally, to me, in my life, Karl Marx's manifest, Communist Manifesto made a lot more sense than Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. Because Karl Marx talked about how, you know, in his eyes, all of history is a history of class struggle and people resisting oppression. And from what I've read, that's what it seems like happening. It doesn't seem like Adam Smith's, oh, there's an invisible hand and everyone and his, you know, will make sure everything's right. And there will always be everything good will happen because people acting in their own self-interest will somehow be good for everyone. Like that shit, just when I compare the two. Karl Marx makes a lot more sense to me. So, I mean, if that makes me like un-American or whatever, like so be it. But I encourage everyone read even even for this podcast, like when we were going to knew I was going to talk about socialism. I went online and read all the argument, you know, arguments I could find for why, you know, socialism and communism is bad. So if you have this, you know, Americanized, demonized version of Karl Marx, go read it and see if you, you know, because personally I read it and then I was like, I don't see what all the. I mean, I didn't see one, the demonization, and two, I agreed with a lot of what he said, but he wasn't my favorite philosopher ever. So I'm not like, oh my God, Karl Marx is God, you know? So no, there 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 is a there is a string of um, and this I guess what I was trying to get to earlier, of you know Marxists and and and, and those who would call, label themselves communists and Marxists, who kind of uh, that's what kind of annoyed me is like Marx was kind of like they kind of romanticize them and, and kind of turn them into like this saintly figure. And I, I don't think, you know, I can't speak for a dead man with Marx, but I highly doubt it that that's what he, you know, he was a person who criticized religion and called it the opioids of the masses. So therefore to kind of deifying him uh, would be counterintuitive to what his philosophy was even talking about if you've read it. So that's what kind of, you know, made me mad knows kind of uh, organizing in uh, activist circles and in academic circles when I was organizing in Chicago during Occupy and um, early uh, before we called it Black Lives Matter it was you know Trayvon Martin and and, um, and Oscar Grant in, in San Francisco uh, so before we had the Black Lives Matter movement because <laughs> I'm an old fucking man uh, we're still dealing with police brutality um, but yeah I, I get annoyed what? I know <laughs> uh, I, I, I get a, I, I got a lot of that uh, and, and, and even online today I still see that and you, you should get past that um, he was a philosopher like all other philosophers um, and I, I you know I read those uh, works of Marx I have like his you know, books here in home and you know I, I'll read through them every now and then so I was in agreement his critique of capitalism was great but I think we need to even go back before Marx because he kind of he made you know socialism uh, accessible in the West because you know the West had went through and when I talk about the West I'm talking about Europe uh, Eastern Europe Western Europe um, pre-colonialization they were going through the monarchy and they had you know lords and kings and the feudal system and you know you had peasants and you had serfs and then you had like the few noblemen and lords and then you had the kings and queens and they all fought over you know land and all this other shit and the fuck to think about it nowadays brian do you know that a, a medieval peasant works far less than the average american working class american yeah this day uh -huh. so we uh -huh. like to say oh they were peasants and they had they had way more free time to just chill and shit. 
and the wealth divide is worse now than it's ever been in oh, this country. Oh, yeah, yeah. The so. fucking kings and queens ate spoiled food just like everybody else. But the thing is, other cultures um, were, you know, more egalitarian across the globe. So, um, you know, I don't really like this guy. And uh, he I, I, he got into it with my wife uh, on Twitter. But he's like this guy named Tariq Nasheed. And he's like an internet celebrity. And he's kind of like super like terrible with his views on like women and shit like that. A lot of views is terrible. But he has this documentary, um, and I forgot the name of the documentary. Documentary, and the one thing that was absolutely, you know, they were on point in their analyzation um, about the contact of white Europeans with indigenous people in Africa and also on the Americas is that they had such a different system. Um, There's a a Native American uh, um, um, leader who, back in the day during the colonial period. He was like, you know, in our culture, you know, if someone didn't have a blanket, we gave him one. If someone didn't have a place to stay, we gave them a place to stay. It wasn't like, you have to earn your key, you lazy bum. It's like, you know, it's, it's so weird that we have this philosophy. It's kind of just like, do we tell little babies when they're born? All right, little fucking baby, you're on your fucking own. Good luck. Go find that bottle. <laughs> you can't move. Oh, you're going to die. Like, that's that's fucking just, we, we don't, we, we have always, we strive to the species being cooperative, not competitive. And it's not like we just set babies in a room and be like, well, uh, if they can't fend for themselves, good luck. That would be inhumane and we would never imagine doing that. So it's fucked up that we, once people get a little older, that's what exactly what we do in our capitalist society. It's so hard, like when you're living within the culture, it's so hard to think that there can be alternative. And what you just said kind of remind me of, there's a Lupe Fiasco song kind of about colonization. And he said, um, from you know, native people who could barely understand what they were saying, is the sky owned by birds and the rivers owned by fish? And it's like, so even the you know, to a lot of uh, Native American nations, the idea of like owning land, they were like, they didn't get it. You know, they're like, what do you mean? Like the land's changing, you're changing. How can you like own this thing? But to us, we'd be like, what do you mean? This is mine. How do you not get that? You know, and it's so it's. I think it's, you know, just important to be like open minded to have the imagination of how else we could be living just because things are the way they are doesn't mean that's how they have to be. Yeah, this is author um, named Roxana Dunbar Ortiz, and she's an author of Indigenous Peoples History of the United States. And she kind of talks about that a little bit. Um, she's in, and I'll, I'll quote her. Hold on, let me find it. Um, let's see. All right. Um, she says, yes, it was socialistic. Indigenous socialism. Collective, collectively, this is why native property wasn't rest recognized, because it was collectively owned, and then they tried to allot it. They literally put the Dawes Act, the Allotment Act, that selfishness had to be created for civilization to flourish among native people. Other aspect I think we have to be aware of is that every inch of the territory that is now United States was taken by warfare. War on native people and many of those were genocidal wars. In every case, Native people resisted, resisted one way or another to stay on the land. They just didn't give up. In this 300 years of one warfare, uh, 100 of it is under the United States Republic, preceded by 200 years of set of colonial warfare. Most of the local armed militias of a certain kind of warfare developed, took root, uh, and the, the root and foundation was of the, they were, the militias were the root and foundation of the U.S. military. Uh, acted out time and time again, and, and then you talk, then she goes and talk about kind of like corporations. And she says, corporations are predators to everyone now, but native people uh, are kind of canaries in a coal mine in the 19th century. The United States government, which 
had federal trust responsibilities under the treaties to protect native land from outsiders from settlers coming in or companies coming in instead they did the opposite they would give leases and give contracts without consulting the native people so corporations ran rapid from the beginning in the industrial revolution so it's basically like she's arguing that pre it was a pre-capitalist pre-colonial society um folks were more collective and there's a great book called the dawn of everything which i talked about this and in that the one of the main um, points of this book is basically saying that um it critiques traditional uh, narratives of history because we have this thing about history you, you know this brian like you know we were cavemen and everybody was equal but then society started to develop and become more complex and that's why we got all these isms out of that and that's just how it is and now we're just in the final point and capitalism is the best thing ever and this is a natural state of the world so you're gonna have some winners and losers and that's how we justify like seeing homeless people and you know i gave a homeless guy some money yesterday when i was going to the dentist and like, you know, there are three other homeless, you know, gentlemen over there. And it's like, even if I gave them all the fucking money I have, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to solve all their fucking problems. And it's like, this is a society problem. It's not just a me problem. But because our society is so individualistic, we kind of um, have taken away from that. And it makes the problems our own problem. And that we could did collectively see, solve that. Did you see that disgusting video of that guy in San Francisco spraying a homeless woman with his hose who was like, sitting down in front of his business oh yeah i saw that on twitter it's, it's just disgusting how we just think about people yeah and then i guess so i guess people started like vandalizing and like protesting outside and of course the police showed up to like clear them out of the way too oh so, of course God, the, the police are all the white hand of the oppressor are always on the wrong side of history but this book called the dawn of everything written by um david uh gerber and uh david uh Wingro, and they say, you know, the main point of this book is like posits that humans have lived in large, complex, but decentralized uh, policies for a millennia. And then they kind of go into like uh, archaeological, archaeological evidence to show that early societies were diverse and developed numerous political structures. And kind of what, you know, I, what I learned from reading this book, like you have some societies that created monarchies and they created chieftains, but they were like play kings and play chiefs. And that really most people were equal and it wasn't this large division of labor. And they only did it through like seasons. So like they would come together to have a big harvest seasons and stuff like that. Um, but then they would like disperse and they have like all type of evidence and throughout the, you know, indigenous cultures around the world, non-Western cultures of this. Um, and even, even in the United States, <laughs> uh, when they were like, a, they were trade routes, um, so there is a there before you know colonization there was a road that went from Mexico all the way to Alaska, and they call it the Pan American Highway. Uh, roads crisscrossing from the east to west. This is before colonial, colonialism, anything like before any uh, colonizers came north to south in every directions. Directions. They were all trade routes. They were not just paths. They were not just roads for hunting or paths for migration. They were roads that were used. They had stops. They had places to stay. They had markets, trade. Trade items from central Mexico ended up all the way in Quebec and the Great Lakes and vice versa. All those artifacts tell you that there was an enormous amount of trade in general. Uh, the Tolex before the Aztecs created tour course as a means of exchange. They also had monetary systems. So, you know, people traded and, and bartered and came up with all types of systems. Um, so the, the idea that this capitalism is like the end stage of everything, the end all be all, when it really just makes a few people rich, 
and everybody else poor. And that also, when you come to talk about Marxism and communism and socialism, you, you think of Karl Marx, this German philosopher, when indigenous society was knew that, you know, sharing the resources to support the entire community was the way to go. And they also did community policing. Um, they had councils to solve problems, conflicts between different families. And like that one indigenous um, scholar said, as if there, you know, we didn't have any homeless people in our society because if someone needed a place to stay, we gave them a place to stay. It wasn't like you got to earn it, buddy, because you're being a moocher. So it's a very if you learn history, you know that. And I think those uh, those societies that you're talking about kind of are suppressed, too, because they kind of spit in the face of this capitalist notion that you have to have the profit motive. Otherwise, nothing would get done and there'd be no productivity. And, you know, the societies that you just mentioned completely spit in the face of that idea. And it's it's a really kind of weird thought, you know, that that they bring up that, like, you need money to want to do things. It's like, no, people will do like, yes, like maybe we won't be like constantly we need to get the newest phone or the best, you know, car that there can possibly be. But people will do things that interest them and that benefit themselves and other people and will work together. And all these societies are examples of that. And I'd even go a step further and say what we think of as like lazy is a product of capitalism because we're at these soul-sucking jobs that we don't care about. We're overworked and that's when we're lazy. So it's like at the end of a long work week when I've been working my ass off all week, that's when I'm lazy. But when I have a day a day off or a week off or two weeks off, if that ever happens, I'm very energetic and I'm very going out into the world and wanting to do things. So it's like it's almost like the opposite, but it's portrayed that like you need money to to, you know, be a go getter, you know, grind hustle. It's it's just a bunch of bullshit, honestly. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's and, and like you know, when, when I say these societies are egalitarian, um, more so than our societies, and there's a um, great book uh, that came out years ago, uh, probably like 20, 25 years ago, called Lies, Lies My Teacher Told Me by um, James W. Uh, Lowen. And he talks about like how the difference between the, the Western societies and the colonizers who would come in here um, in indigenous societies. And he talked about how there were, there were numerous um, occasions where white settlers who would end up living in the indigenous communities and then like you know the white settlers were still these you know particularly women but also some men too would steal them back and bring them back to like you know their own culture and they would go back because they were just like these cultures are much better like there's no rigid hierarchy um men and women are not separated like this um capitalism and in in a in a capitalist society creates like this need to like for hierarchy and these rigid divisions and this is how you have to be and and, and humans know, and every human knows it's all bullshit because there's no single way to be a man there's no single way to be a woman and there's no and, and like the fact that like we 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 one person can control this whole organization and if you don't like what they say they can just fire you willy-nilly that's why we created unions to fight back against that but the the, the, the myth of like capitalism is that we're all greedy and that like you know if you had a chance, buddy, you'd be like, you want to be a billionaire too. And that we're just all jealous that we're not billionaires. And so that's why, you know, or, or like what I would love to say is that what they love to say, Brian, is that don't you remember this for older people when you were younger? Um, when you, when you get older, you'll, you'll stop being so, you know, you'll get more conservative. <laughs> Well, and that's interesting, too. Did you see there's like a new study published where they're finding that millennials are not getting more conservative as they age like previous generation has? And, 
you know, I think that's obviously because the economy, you know, we're not this is we're not at the peak of the American empire anymore. And millennials are learning that the dream they were sold was actually a lie. So, you know, they're not buying into this stuff anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right about like that whole, you know, like that's another thing is like, oh, humans are greedy. So we need capitalism is the only thing that'll work because humans are greedy. And it's like, we are products of our environment. So if our if our environment creates a situation where we have to be cutthroat, then yeah, we'd be greedy. But it's, you know, the same thing if you threw if, you know, threw someone with, you know, tied some bricks and threw him in the ocean, be like, oh, it's his, you know, he's naturally going to drown. It's like, no, it's just because he's in an ocean. And it's just because we're in this sea of capitalist exploitation that we have to behave in this greedy way to survive. But just as like greed is part of our nature, so is cooperation. And we should build a society that leans more towards cooperation than to this individual greed. Oh, yeah. And then, and then you can, and it kind of was used Darwin's theory of evolution, uh, survival of the fittest and all that stuff. Um, it was kind of used in the early, uh, early end of the 1800s to the start of the 19, uh, 1900s, the idea of social Darwinism and that the rich people are just inherently better and, and like, and that was a total bastardization of the theory of evolution. And even um, Charles Darwin and other biologists way after him realized that most successful species on this planet, humans included, um, work. There's, there, there is some competition, but the most successful ones are competitive. Because if they're always, if all the predators eat all the prey, then the prey is going and then, and then the predators, the prey will all die off. Then the, the predators will die off. So it's always like this natural nature is always trying to find a state of equilibrium and that's all evolution is kind of like about like you know uh, things finding uh, equilibrium to t take advantage of niche niches and one of the ways that you know species have been successful um have been through collectivity um ants human beings other primates mammals is all collectivity and 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 working together to achieve a common goal not this whole like you know we you got to pull up yourself up by your bootstraps which you know is physically impossible but we like to say that stuff all right so let's i think the um a good next thing to talk about is probably the most common thing that's used to demonize demonize socialism and socialist governments is that oh uh socialist governments always fail they never work out they, they always fail um but when you actually look into the history and see what's going on, the reason they fail is not because of, of their own. They fail because they are viciously and constantly attacked by the powers that be. I mean, if you want a good example, let's just go back and look at our episode two episodes ago about the CIA. Yeah. That pretty much <laughs> happens all around the world to any socialist government. And I think a good example of that that I highly recommend everyone read about is the case of uh, Thomas uh, Sankara. He was a leader in uh, uh, Burkina Faso, which was a small country in Western Africa, um, and he was, a, you know, he was an avid socialist, and he took power, and he did absolutely amazing things for the country. Um, got vaccine rates from incredibly deadly diseases up from 13% of his country to 73% of his country, planted over 10 million new trees and fought against deforestation, built a robust railway and road system, um, appointed women to high positions in government. 
did all these amazing things for the country. And how did he do those things? By taking the means of production and taking the profits that normally just go to a select few and, and nationalizing everything and distributing them to the people. And how was he rewarded for all this work? There was a coup d'etat and he was assassinated. And this is done time and time again, all, you know, Chile, all we we went through the full list. Oh, in, well, in yeah, and even, episode, even kind of yeah. like lately been in the news, Iran, like, you know, we like, oh, look how they treat women over there and stuff like that. I mean, first off, the United States does fucking business with Saudi Arabia, and that country is so, like, sexist that they don't let women, like, they just, the women have to fight the right to fucking drive a car. So, like, you can't even, as a woman or, or a girl, go anywhere without being escorted by one a male relative or your, you know, life partner or husband so it's fucking bullshit you know it's hypocritical like oh look at iran but we do business but saudi arabia is sitting on a shit ton of black gold so you know as long as they you know give us that we're, we're all good with them <laughs> um but iran the reason why iran's is a shit show as is is because of america because in 1953 we we overthrew a democratically elected leader because of that leader was going to nationalize the oil industry and like you know um pull people out of po- poverty and this person was democratically elected it wasn't like he came to power, you know, violently. No, the people chose that leader. And just imagine if we had an election and then, you know, China decided to come or Mexico was like, no, you know, Joe Biden isn't your real president. Trump is. I know that a lot of liberals said that that's what Russia did, but this is absolute bullshit because there's no... You can listen to our Russiagate episode and we break down that bullshit. But we've seen this time and time again throughout history. So these so-called socialist governments, you know, while, you know, you have some conservatives, and we remember in school, we were at school in the Midwest, we had all these people like, my dad said socialism didn't work because, like, it makes everybody equal and everybody's not equal. And then even a friend said this stupid shit to me years ago. It's like, well, because he's, you know, he's all like rah rah America. He, he claims to be a liberal too. Uh, I don't know if he thinks like this anymore, but when he, had his, when, he was in his, when he was in his 20s, he said, well, in order for me to live so good, someone else has to suffer. And I'm like, dude, you live in an apartment and you drive like a 10 year old car. So, what, what good <laughs> life are you living? You're not. You're not fucking flying private jets and shit like that. You're you're a regular guy. And that, and that's what it's not. America hasn't like suppressed these things around just because America is naturally you know evil. It's because there's been such a consolidation of wealth of this country that the backlash to socialism and to communism is always committed by the wealthiest people, be it the wealthiest people in those countries, or then they you know since there's globalization now and all these countries and all these powerful people, all their businesses are interlocked. They'll appeal to wealthy people from other countries for their needs. And even if there's not a direct coup d'etat or war to to downplay it, then they'll use economic means. So there will be sanctions and embargoes. And that's like that's what's happened with Cuba. We the U.S. power structure still hasn't forgiven Cuba for taking over that small little island. Think about that. We're still supporting an you know an embargo and sanctions on Cuba on that small little island just because you know how dare they go against our corporations? Yeah, and then the the hypocritical of the U.S. Um, foreign policy in our in our empire is that like you know we'll be like well those governments are repressive, and, and you know they don't have freedom down in Cuba. But, like, we fucking do deals with the fucking gag guy, Duterte, in um, the Philippines, who basically was bragging about, like, oh, the, a journalist that was raped and murdered in this country, he was like, oh, she was so pretty. I wish I could have joined him in a, in a gang rape. Like, what a fucking piece of shit scumbag. And then he's, like, sending out his own citizens against each other, being like, we need to, like, he's, you know, it's always all these strong men do, so-called strong men do. Um, is blame others so like the problem in the philippines is all these drug users and you need to you know kill them and he's like 
encouraging these people to like massacre each other because like you know oh they might use drugs and they're a drug dealer i mean they're a drug dealer or they're a drug user and these people are terrible and it's like no these assist these these problems in your country is probably due to economic imperialism but we do we do partnerships with him like a person like him or bolsonaro who's basically allowing companies to come and destroy the amazon rainforest um doing extrajudicial murders and shit like this all type of crazy embezzling money just fucking using it basically a money laundering scheme to be president you know brazil just all and then the guy fucking fled to go to you know florida he's in the hospital right now um i wish him a speedy and fast recover there bolsonaro but um <laughs> we do build we do people did business with them. or saudi arabia they they've killed like american journalists and we still do business with them because they gave us oil so it's like it's very hypocritical it's like oh no that well those but, but, but the problem is cuba cuba that's the problem right there uh, yeah or, or fucking uh, well, venezuela and, 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 and and that's the thing is that's what American people don't see is like the go- the money that should be used for your health care, for your education, for your infrastructure is being used to go overthrow these governments. So even if you don't care about, you know, what's going on in the island about Cuba, you should care about the powerful stealing your money to go use to execute these people. And it's also so ironic and shows what a house of cards this ideology is because if socialism is such a failure, if it always fails, then why can't you just let it be? Why do exactly. you have to, you know, constantly attack it and and use the full might? I mean, think about all the resources we used. Think like think about what this country could be if we hadn't used all our money on all these weapons cuz we were so scared of like Russia. You know, that during the whole fucking era of the Cold War, for three decades, we're wasting all our money trying to build missiles in space and shit. And, and, and so it's and, just so fun, you know. It's, and the historical uh, irony of that is without the fucking communists in Russia, we wouldn't have won World War fucking two. Right. They're right. the ones who fucking beat, you know, beat back, you know, Hitler and the, and the Nazis um, before, you know, on the... And they lost 20 million people in that fucking war. The United States didn't lose... Anything. You know, there were a lot of people we lost. We had to attack on Pearl Harbor. But the thing is, like, it was the communists who helped us win World War II. It wasn't the fascists. We were fighting against the fascists. So there's this whole this whole Cold War thing was basically like the United States wanted to be an empire and you know Europe has finally destroyed itself. So the colonial powers was only a shell of themselves. And the United States was a bastard child of those colonial powers. When I say colonial powers, I'm talking about Britain, Spain, and France. France, yes. I Italy. mean, there was other European um, nations were in 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 Belgium, in, Denmark. Yeah, they were all part of like <laughs> yeah. the the pillaging of the earth and and cultures around the earth and people, um, because like obviously slavery, um, slave trade was the capital for capitalism. So that's funny when you got black folks talking. I'm a capitalist. I'm like, so you know the original capital in this country was slave. Like you, they built this country off free labor of African slaves. So when people are like black people are like, our fucking ancestors work here for fucking free. All right, we had a right that we should be able to sit on our ass all day and get reparations. Fuck it. All right, and you know we're not gonna sit on our ass. People are gonna be doing all type of shit. So this whole like Ooh, lazy, you gotta be no being being lazy means you're not making money for some other rich asshole to make them richer. Cause those are the lazy motherfuckers. And then you got stolen land. Like I said earlier, all the fucking land here was occupied by indigenous peoples, and the United States fucking government came along once this country formed, and even before that. These colonists came and was like, oh, we're going to claim this country for ours. And they're not using the land right. They're not making money off this land. Let's take it. And then we'll do some bullshit trees with them. And once we find oil or other resources, we'll push them out again. And nowadays, we just put pipelines through the fucking 
um, reservations and things like that. So, or, and then we reserve their land for like the shittiest land possible and be like, all right, here you go. You can't grow shit here, but good luck. One, one more thing too, I want to mention about the Soviet Union before we, you know, go on to, um, other myths about socialism, but was the Soviet Union perfect? Absolutely not. Had a lot of issues. But to say that it like failed, it went from, you know, they won their independence 1917 by 1950. So let's say 20 years. They were an extremely impoverished country that was run by a king with low liter- you know literacy rates, extremely poor. They built the country up to it was the other it was the main superpower besides the United States. So so within that 30 years, it became a world superpower. It was it defeated fascism more than any other country was singly responsible for defeating fascism. It sent the first probe and the first man into space, had a crazy infrastructure. Like to just be like, oh yeah, it failed. Like, yeah, it failed 80 years later after the entire weight of all the fucking rich people in the world attacking it nonstop for a century. Yeah, then maybe it failed in your eyes. And 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 what's funny is too now when a lot of people when a lot of Russian citizens who were alive, you know, in the forties and fifty or, you know, fifties, sixties are interviewed, they say they liked it better than how Russia is now under a capitalist system. So you know, just th- this myth of them being like failed states is just that's what it is. It's a myth. It's propaganda. And th- it also goes in line with that myth that like all socialist nations are poor. You know, we always hear, oh, Venezuela, you know, what a hellhole. And I'll share um, Abby Martin did a great documentary in the midst of when Venezuela um you know, was being attacked and the coup d'etat was being attempted. There was constantly media propaganda. Oh my God, Venezuela, it's horrible. Everyone's, you know, people are eating rats and it's insane poverty. She went there with cameras and walked around the capital and walked around other cities in Venezuela. And to be honest, it looked a lot like America. Like there was not, you know, it was not this crazy impoverished place that was always portrayed. And sure, there were like certain items like toilet paper that were on were, um, you know, they, they were short on at the time. But it was come to find out it was because the leaders of those industries were trying to support the coup. So they were trying to use their economic power to make things worse for the people so they'd be more likely to revolt. And like, come so, on, Brian, we, we ran out of toilet paper at the start of like the pandemic when they were and then people right, were just right, buying, right. hoarding it and, and trying to price gouge because like everything in this country is a hustle. Every fucking single, you know, thing you can think of, you can turn into a way to, like, rip people off and make money off of it. So, yeah. And then Bernina and I, we went to, you know, two countries in Latin America um, over the last t- over the last several years, my wife and I. Um, Panama and Ecuador. And, you know, two very, you know, lovely countries with great people in them. But Panama was a country that was heavily influenced by U.S. foreign policy. We built the Panama Canal there. We had a lot of sway. And that country, talk about a country... Or the have and have nots. Like there is extreme wealth divide and that country's fucked. And I remember my wife having a conversation with a taxi cab driver and we talked about like, you know, it's a huge, you know, wealth gap here and stuff like that. And he basically was spewing kind of like American sounding rhetoric. Oh, they're just lazy and poor and they don't work hard. And also the police there were assholes and things like that. Ecuador is very, very different. Um more um more I guess more of a kind of a socialist government before United States started to fuck with them too, um, which was happened since we went there in 2018, unfortunately. But, you know, you got, you know, a large indigenous presence, a large uh, Afro-Ecuadorian uh, presence in that country. And those folks joined forces, indigenous and, uh, and former slaves, and, you know, gained a lot of rights and freedoms. And, you know, they have universal health care and everything like that. What's so funny, Brian, I met a fucking, it was a white guy in a cafe my wife were at 
um, in, in Ecuador. And, you know, we started talking to this guy, and he was like, he worked in IT, and he was from the United States. I don't know if he was, like, from Colorado or California. But anyway, he was like, he made sure, because he was a libertarian, he had to tell us he was a libertarian, because fucking libertarians are so insecure in their fucking political ideology, because they know it's bullshit that they have to tell everybody that they are a libertarian. But you know what? He was down there in Ecuador for two reasons. The women and the free health care. So this libertarian was down in some other country mooching off their fucking free health care. This American libertarian. Why don't you come back to America since you love freedom and you love liberty so much and fucking just pay for your health care? Oh, you don't want to do that, do you? Because it's fucking expensive. You know it's bullshit. I, this, and that's what in socialist societies, they, they're, they're portrayed as poor. And it's just because they have more equality and wealth. So, yeah, maybe there's not as million, many millionaires, but they don't have as many dirt poor people. Cuba doesn't have any homeless people. Yeah, maybe there's not as many people riding around in Benzes. But personally, I'd rather live in a society that I'd rather, you know, have a regular car and not have to walk by homeless people than to, hey, oh my God, I got my Lamborghini, but I better, you know, have it in a private parking garage or someone might break into it because someone's, you know, needs to steal money to eat. So it's, you know, this, this demonization of them as being poor is I would just, anytime the U.S. media, mainstream media portrays any other country as like, you know, insane, impoverished, like, Look at the, you know, do something about the, the poverty in your own country before you start throwing stones. Exactly. It's kind of like the, um, it's kind of like what um, the Carl Sagan episode we did, our last episode of last year, um, when he talked to, we talked to Ted Turner, because Ted Turner tried to be like, oh, you must be a socialist. And he was like, I don't even know what that means. I mean, like, I think the government has a role to ensure that its most vulnerable, vulnerable members of society are looked after. And if, you know, our priorities are, are you know, messed up. Um, and that, you know, we could end homelessness if we wanted to, but we just choose not to. We choose to spend all our money on weapons and, and, and war and in making rich people richer and poor people poor. So we could do that. We could prioritize it. And I don't think it's like, you know, I know liberals will listen to that. Well, that's just because we need to just vote for more Democrats. I'm sorry to say this, but the Democrats and Republicans, as we said on our two-party system episode, two sides of the same, two cheeks on the same ass, all right? It's a left cheek and a right cheek. Whatever one you want to kiss, you can kiss. But guess what? They don't work for you. They work for the military industrial complex. They work for the police. They work for corporations. They work for the wealthy elites. Not you poor broke motherfuckers. You might have your symbolic vote every couple of years, but they don't do anything you fucking say. Uh, we can see this now here in Atlanta. A local issue here is that these companies and the, the Atlanta PD want to build the largest police training facility in the fucking country. Perhaps in the world. In this green space here. That they used to have... It was a poor, it was a poor community, used as a dumping ground for years. People in the neighborhood came together, cleaned it up, turned it into a nice green space, and now the cops are like, we need a police training facility. Because we, and they want to practice urban warfare. I guess they're getting ready for the, the wave of the future when climate change hits the fan and we have water wars and the police can come and, you know, be a militarized force in our own city, <laughs> cities. Uh, but they're here to serve and protect That's exactly them. what it is. But, um, and, they're, and they're like, you know, trying to take this uh, green space and they're, the people who are force protectors there, the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia is coming down on them, calling them domestic terrorists. So these are the powers that they have, the rich people have, to come together and be like, well, they can just label their opponents, regular everyday people, as the enemies of the states. And what's even worse in our society, because we always talk about socialism is demonized, and as Carl Sagan said, we, we could end homelessness if we wanted to. We just don't have a priority. We have a priority to build another aircraft carrier, another fucking... F-18 jet that's going to crash or like we have fucking tanks and shit 
and jets that are just wasting away in the desert in Arizona because like they 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 spent a lot of money building it and it's shit quality. Even though they wasted a lot of money because like it's just a, a fucking a racket. War is a racket, as uh, General Smedley Butler said back in the day. And there's a great book about him called Gangsters of Capitalism. Check that out. Um, but as my boy Cornel West says in this country, you have rugged individualism for the poor and socialism for the rich, my dear brother Brian. <laughs> so you want to talk about that a little more? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's definitely, <laughs> that's the funny thing is within this society, the rich, I, I mean, look at the, the Wall Street bail, bailouts in 2008, for example. It's it's socialism for them, meaning when things go bad for them, they just use our tax money, you know, to just bail themselves out. So they, it's very socialist for them. But then any poor person, you know, earn it yourself. Don't leech off the system. It also goes, you know, where welfare, this whole myth of like welfare queens, where it's it's portrayed that, you know, like poor black and brown people are the ones, you know, mooching off the welfare system. And first of all, majority of welfare recipients are white people because they're majority of the people in their country second of all the biggest welfare queens are corporations if you look at subsidies and especially all these capitalists that claim to be so you know i'm so capitalist i I did it myself like elon musk and shit when they they get more subsidies than anyone they get more welfare than anyone so it's hilarious when they kind of talk about like socialism it's like well you guys are the ones fucking reaping all the benefits of socialism but you're just not sharing it with anybody else exactly like they get bailouts um, they don't pay any fucking taxes. Like, you know, we just found out Trump check, Trump's tax returns. Um, he didn't pay any taxes, like, in the last year, his last year in office. And he kind of came, he was finding all these loopholes, his lawyers and shit, for him not to pay taxes. A company like Verizon, my cell phone carrier, because you don't really have an option. You got, like, two cell phone carriers, three, Google, Apple, or fucking Verizon, or Metro P- PCS, um, so you got only a few options. It's not like a whole bunch of them. So anyway, they didn't pay any taxes. Lots of companies don't pay taxes. They're like they're you know you're a janitor or you're a plumber, you're a cab driver, you're a small business owner. You pay way more taxes than someone like Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. So it's a, it's a rigged system. Um, when they can talk about the free invisible hand, that invisible hand is coming into your wallet every night and fucking you every every single night. That's to give take your money and give to the rich. So when people are like, I don't want my tax dollars going to pay for people, lazy people. Yeah, well, you need to be talking about the rich people then, right? You need to be talking about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, those those lazy fucks because they all the greedy, the greedy CEOs of defense contractors. That's why we always need a new war. We gotta we gotta go bomb somebody because you know if we don't have war, we can't make these useless weapons and like send send our sons and daughters and, and individuals to go out and die for like to expand the empire. <laughs> And, and this kind of relates, and I don't want to talk about it too long because we've kind of beat this idea to death on the podcast. We've talked to, about it a bunch. But all the successful, all the good things that we have within America were because of the socialists and the social movements, socialist movements within the country. The reason we have weekends, workers' comp, um, you know, fucking no child labor laws, environmental protection – all that were, was because of socialists who fought hard at the 1800s, 1900s. Check out our history episodes to learn more about that. But everything good that you have in your life is either because of technology or because of social movements that got us these gains in the first place. And, you know, civil rights, women's rights. Yeah, and there's a great article in uh, Teen Vogue of all places because they've been on it these last few years. But they're talking about like the 
the socialism's uh, influence on the labor movement. Um, what you're seeing a rise in the new labor movement, and that's one of the most positive things that come out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, so keep on organizing Starbucks workers, uh, teachers in New York are striking. So, you know, the little people are fighting back, um, and we got a long way to go, but, you know, it's, it's a good sign. So it's not all doom and gloom. People are fighting back. Everyday people can make a change, so stand up. But um, in this article here says, many of labor's most iconic figures, the firebrands, the rabble risers, the working class heroes, were socialists, communists, anarchists, who saw radical potential in collective action, shunned liberal half measures in pursuit of real liberation, from influential civil rights leaders like Bernard Rustin to trailblazers like Francis Perkins to farm workers champions Dolores Herrera, uh, many of labor's most cherished ancestors have been red radicals. The Socialist Party has had an outsized impact on the labor movement's early days in this country, as did a number of influential radical thinkers like anarchist Lucy Parsons, socialist Big Bill Haywood, communist Elizabeth Gurley Flynn, all three were part of a labor organization called the Industrial Workers of the World, IWW, a member-run union founded in 1905 that embraced an industrial model of organizing and, and continues to welcome all workers, no matter their trade. The IWW, whose members are known as Wobblies, is still active and have several notable campaigns, including organizing fast food workers, retail workers, freelance journalists. They also accept members of other unions, which is how they're... I'm also... This writer calls themselves a Wobbly. I'm part of a union, the Progressive Workers Union, uh, that represents big green organizations. Um, white collar, blue collar. At the end of the day, you're just a worker. Um, I know there was a thing on Twitter where people were like, people who make $100,000 a year are part of the 1%. They're fucking not. All right. They might be, they're middle class. So you need to understand class levels. For those people, yes. Uh, and they're probably doing better than someone who's working a minimum wage job at McDonald's. But they are not fucking Jeff Bezos. They are not, you know, Elon Musk. And the difference between a million and a billion is what let's say a, a million a million seconds is like what 11 minutes and a million a billion seconds is like 32 years right you have yeah so like 37 years and, and change yeah, yeah so something like, like 32 yeah. a billion seconds is like 32 years and a million seconds is like 11 minutes or some shit like that so there's a huge gap between them and then add that by numbers like you know 200 billion like what jeff bezos or elon musk has and they are far, far in a different stratosphere economically. And in in America, we sell you this thing of like, one day you'll you know you'll accept these inequalities because one day if you work hard enough, you'll be part of that system. And that's absolute bullshit. Yeah, I mean, even if you make a million dollars a year, you're closer to being homeless than you are to being one of those the ruling class. So just keep that in mind. Um, two more myths that I'd want to discuss about socialism. And honestly, they're so laughable. I almost don't even want to bring them up. But when I was visiting sites, trying to look for all the pro-capitalism propaganda to see what there were, these came up. Um, this, this argument about, oh, the death toll of communism and socialism, you know, millions and millions of people died under these regimes, and that's why they're so evil. Well, you know, putting aside that a lot of these like so-called deaths because of socialism were actually famines and because infrastructure was destroyed uh, by capitalist regimes in retaliation. But putting that aside, what about the death toll of capitalism? Um, a new article just came out that I'll share. share um, I forgot who did the study, but it was in Al Jazeera. So I'll, I'll post that. But um, oh, yeah, it was the world. The Journal of World Development found that British colonization in India alone caused the death of 100 million people. Then you got the colonization of the Western powers of the North and South America. 
easily you could say that that they killed 100 million people. What about the colonization of West Africa? Again, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people. What about all the fascist wars started in the 20th century? Again, you're throwing another 20 million on there. So before you get it, you're talking billions and billions of people that capitalism has killed. So anytime anyone brings up that, oh, all these, you know, 10 million people died in the Soviet Union, blah, blah, blah. Bring up these numbers and how can you say that, you know, if you're going to, I personally kind of think it's, you know, th- there's a lot of different factors for why people are killed around the world. But if you're going to boil it down to an economic system, I don't see how capitalism isn't the, the, you know, the reigning champion of murders around the world. Yeah, not to mention like the United States capital number, hyper capitalist nation number one. Um, this country is about 100 and almost 250 years old and maybe it's been 10 years without a single war whether it's a civil war or some type of foreign excursion um through this nation's history and it continues to be because we're just fucking funneling money to like ukraine to fight the russians and then having a proxy war with russia and it's kind of just like we don't need to have a proxy war with russia then we win the cold then so-called united states win the cold war so why are they still like fucking with russia Oh, because of the election in 2016 because they wanted donald trump i like at the russians that advanced like they can like overthrow an election and like in the United States um, that's pretty tall tale for one and two pretty amazing for uh, an empire that's uh, a shell of its former self so you know they just yeah. let the K- Not- they just they just overthrew like you know they just collapsed the Soviet Union and let the KGB people uh, and other like kind of right wing reactionary elements take over that country that's all. Exactly. And, and not to mention, you know, you got the, all the wars and the colonization of capitalism. What about all the people that die, you know, millions in, in America alone that can't get adequate health care, the poverty, children starving to death, things like that. So it's such an insane argument. Oh, yeah. And when and capitalism then, was unchecked in this country, we had little kids working in fucking factories. And apparently the liber- right. libertarian party of fucking New Hampshire, because that's how these fucks think, um, were like tweeted out like, oh, yeah, uh, school is just government indoctrination. Those kids need to work. And, like, you know, th- I wrote a parody article about libertarians and being like, if they're old enough to work, walk, they're old enough to work. And, you know, these fuckers, it's, satire is fucking dead because this is how crazy these motherfuckers are to think. And when I say libertarians, I mean, like, Republicans, too, because, like, they're all, they're, they're just, you know, two sides of the same ass cheeks. They're, like, both right-wing crazy folks who think that, you know, regulation is terrible. Except for when it comes to their, their own, like, corporate handouts because you know the businesses are always on their own but when that shit hits the fan you know like southwest airlines give us that sweet bailout money uncle sam <laughs> and we'll pay you back but we'll only pay you a little bit back and we ain't gonna pay you get it all back it'll fall on the taxpayers just like how we build stadiums in this country fucking some private company owns every fucking sporting stadium in this country and it's built with public money so that those stadiums should be owned by the people the only fucking stadium and football team is owned by the people. And I fucking hate to admit this because fuck those motherfuckers. But it's true. The Green Bay Packers. Every citizen of Green Bay owns, is an owner of the Green Bay Packers. It's the only, it's a socialist institution in the NFL. But <laughs> the people own the fucking team. It's their team. I, not the people of Chicago to own Chicago Bears or Bulls. Or the Chicago Bulls. Well, that's Fire. the same thing that's that's so frustrating with these pharmaceutical companies that are fucking gouging people for for insulin and medicine that they need is all these medicines are developed with public funds through science that was funded publicly so they take our public knowledge and our wealth that we created 
and then fucking kill us and and steal our money and oh my god it's it's so frustrating <laughs> makes me want to light myself on fire <laughs> um and then one more kind of in the same vein just the, and <laughs> this is so laughable if someone honestly argued this to me i'd laugh in their face but they try and claim that capitalism actually pulls people out of poverty um it's completely the opposite capitalism creates poverty in the first place as Lornette mentioned, when the colonizers arrived to these native nations, they didn't know poverty. Poverty did not exist in their society. So you can't create poverty all over the world, and then because a few people end up getting out of it, it's like, oh, see, we, we helped. Again, that's back to the old you know analogy I use of if you punch someone in the face and then give them an ice pack. And like, see, aren't I a nice guy? I gave you an ice pack. So <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. But um, now that we broke down some of the myths, I think we should talk about some of the positive things. Um, I mean, we already kind of, you know, intertwined those in earlier. But just so you know, you can give people examples. I'm going to share an article to The Guardian. But if people want concrete how, you know, workers being in control of the means of production, how that would work, there are currently examples within capitalist society of them all over the world. You know, they're called co-ops where the workers own, uh, you know, an even share in the companies or in the, yeah, in the company. And um, there's over, I'll share this article from the guardian. There's over 300 around the world that have existed for decades and are very popular. Most of them are in um, Asia and Europe and some in Africa. Um, But I'll share the list and you can learn about these companies and they've, you know, it's not like they, oh my God, because there's no CEO, they'll they'll go out of business. They won't know how to function. No, that's complete bullshit. There's plenty examples of successful co-ops um, all around the world. And then also in our society, um, you get socialist policies are very popular, uh, even within the United States, as long as you don't describe them as socialist. So like instead of saying universal health care, you know, Bernie Sanders labeled it Medicare for all. But that was an extremely popular 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 program um proposed policy proposal and people really like that canceling student loan debt i know you got the assholes like i'm not paying for you to go to college and just party off well maybe you shouldn't but maybe you should complain about the fact that why does college have to cost so much where's all this money going and why do college need all these different administrators getting paid all type of ungodly amounts of money and not to mention all the sports programs in these colleges and universities shouldn't that go to fucking making sure that i mean the big school like fucking university of texas or um or U of I in Illinois or um Athens here the Georgia Bulldogs just won the um, college football championship uh, University of Georgia that should be free because like all the damn um, all the um money the school makes off these football teams exploiting um, student workers um and they're like oh they get a free college education but they're making the school millions of dollars um so why can't we get free college off that. So all you can people come on, I'm not paying for someone to go to school and get drunk and have sex at frat parties. <laughs> you, you stupid fucking idiots. Um, you, pay, you pay the fucking salary of these cops to shoot people and harass people and not even do their fucking jobs. Shout out to those useless cops in Uvalde, Texas. And I think it's important to, you know, in America, we're so far down the capitalist rabbit hole that I think, you know, there, there's not, there's, I don't think we're going to have a socialist revolution overnight. But what we can do is start, you know, turning the tide of getting, you know, make unionization popular again, make this idea of co-ops and worker run thing, get, you know, spread the word, get it popular again. And you, you aren't alone. There have been 
many Americans, you know, I mean, obviously all the revolutionary types, you know, so the Fred Hamptons, uh, Martin Luther King, all the all the revolutionary types were all socialists and communists in America. Uh, again, you know, listen to our Red Scare episode. All, there was an insane amount of, you know, socialist movements, both at the turn of the uh, 20th century and then, you know, in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. But even people that you wouldn't think of as socialists were socialists and communists. You have Albert Einstein, Helen Keller, Pablo Picasso, um, Robert Oppenheimer, Oscar Wilde, Mar- uh, Mark Twain, John Steinbeck. John Ste- uh, Steinbeck is the person who said uh, socialism never took root in America because the poor see themselves as exp- as an see themselves not as an exploited proletariat, but as template temporarily embarrassed millionaires. So, you know, there, there's plenty of authors, plenty of people you, you you wouldn't even think of, plenty of people you didn't hear yeah, about. Dr. King, they were Helen silenced. Keller. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, Eugene V. Debs, the, the famous um, presidential candidate and labor organizer. And yeah, so, <laughs> so I, you know, um, you know, and you can read about these people and what they thought. And I don't think it's any coincidence that some of our, our brightest and most talented people uh, were socialists and communists. Um and uh, so something that was is very positive to me is even despite all the propaganda, socialism is becoming incredibly popular among younger generations. Um, I'll sh- I'll share the a Gallup poll that was done, but it's showing that roughly among millennials, so basically millennials are like the middle aged people now. Socialism is seen favorable over capitalism by fifty percent of millennials, and it's even over fifty percent for for younger generations. So Gen, Gen so, Zoomers. Yeah, the Zoomers, and then what's the one after that? I don't know. Yeah, they don't have a alphas, name for the, the they don't, I guess they I call think they're alphas. They're the alphas. They're, yeah, they're starting over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, start all but, over. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, I mean, it, the, the tide is turning. And I think it's because, you know, not only with capitalism, you have, you know, you have the, the have and the have not. So you have wealth countries and, and poor countries. But even in the wealthy countries, the the wealth is only for a very few and only for a short time. So maybe, you know, middle class people growing up, in, you know, white middle class Americans in the 70s and 80s who were still reaping the benefits that had been won during the New Deal. Um, you know, it was hard for them. Life was looking good. They had a house, a family on their, with their one job. They could afford to retire. But now millennials and Gen Z are seeing the, the American empire that, you know, we're not – you know, we're not on top anymore. That is not going to happen for us. Yeah, and, so it's waking, and the irony it's waking of, us up. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, and the irony of that, Brian, about kind of like the, the baby boomer generation and, and the post-World War II generation, a lot of the programs and policies that were put in place after the war ended were very kind of like socialist in nature. Um, the, 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 the VA home loan, uh, the GI Bill, um, the government paying you to go to school. Uh, these are very kind of like, they were very popular programs. And we have a lot of successful kind of what we call socialist institutions in this country that people really fucking like, like the like the post office. If you talk to the average American, they like the post office. You can you can mail a fucking box across the world for like 30 bucks. Like that's fucking crazy. Or you can mail or send a letter to someone on the other side of the world for 25 cents. So people firemen people love firemen that's another social institution yeah, yeah. libraries libraries I mean, back in the like day when people used so many, to read yeah people yeah. fucking you know people use the library public libraries people would be outraged if you know we, they decided like we're going to close every library in the country we'd be like this is fascism like so as or the fucking roads the fucking highway system public transportation socialist in nature like you, you pay a city bus and you can go somewhere 
Um, I, I advocate that we need high-speed rails. We can take our old railroad infrastructure, turn to high-speed rails, and you can get one across one end of the country to another in like two or three hours on a train. But the airline industry will never let that happen. That's why they can jack up the prices. I'm pretty sure the reason why we don't have a high-speed rail system because if you can go to California in like a couple of hours versus like flying in a plane and you just fucking sit on the train and just like chill and bring your luggage that way, you know, and, and the thing is, it fucking hinders capitalism. That's the funny thing about it. Because imagine, Brian, if you had high-speed trails, trains. So you got people who, like, live in, the, in St. Louis but take a high-speed rail in 30 minutes there in Chicago. And they can work there. And they can bring their talents there and vice versa. So it's like, it, it's hindering capitalism. That's how fucking ridiculous this system is. Like, they, they won't do anything, like, because some industry is, like, they have a lobby and prevents that from happening. So there's a very successful socialist institution. Um, schools. You know, love them or hate them. Yeah, public education. Public education is a public good. I don't. I want people to like know how to read, write, do uh, basic arithmetic. Um, you know, it, it's important. These are you know the foundation of of a, what we call a civilization. And if we don't have this, so I'm I'm a proponent of public. Ed- I think it needs to be changed radically. And we talked about that on our education episode, which you can check out. But these are social institutions that are socialist in nature because they're collective. Which are very popular amongst you know hyper capitalist Americans. And one thing that's incredibly satisfying to me is whether we do anything or not, uh, we're going to have to find an alternative because capitalism is going to destroy itself. Um, capitalism destroys the two things it relies on for its structure: it kills people and it kills nature. And both of those things are you know look at climate change. Like if we don't if we don't change our system, we are and it's this and it's not just you know, rich people like Elon Musk like to think we're going to be able to like science our way, you know, suck the carbon out of the atmosphere. But you have this problem of overconsumption. It cannot continue at this rate with this amount of people. It's not a, it's the capitalist system does not exist. It goes against the laws of nature and the law, then nature will always win. So capitalism will end up destroying itself. And so either we stick with it and get destroyed or we change, you know, change the, the economic system. Um, and, you know, Karl Marx put into words perfectly that capitalism turns everything into a co- commodity. It turns human beings into commodity. That's why there was slavery and, they, and, you know, people were traded like products. It commodifies nature. You know, we will destroy the Amazon so that cows can graze and we can eat more hamburgers and, yet, and we destroy the lungs of our planet. So whether we like it or not, capitalism is going to destroy everything. So do we want to, you know, just go along for the ride and then, uh, you know, or do we want to actually change and evolve which is the only way to survive. Yeah, and with that book I mentioned earlier, The Dawn of uh, Everything, they um, said one of their central arguments is that human society isn't on this linear path from like, you know, hunter-gatherer to like, you know, proto-civilization to, to civilization. And like, you know, now we have our final end stage of end stage, late stage capitalism. No, human beings have designed and organized all types of societies. And one of the main cores and thrusts that made us such a successful species is our collectivity um and also um living in harmony more with the land and there's lots of uh, indigenous activists and scholars uh, you can check out the uh, indigenous people's podcast and other um and read some of their work and um, a lot of um land keepers and and land protectors are from indigenous communities across the world um they've been you know living in harmony with the earth for eons uh, way before industrialized civilization and our civilization now is all about kind of 
in America at least, but in our Western um, capitalist society, everything becomes a commodity, like Brian said, and everything becomes a hustle. Um, every single institution, every you can, you all there's always somebody trying to rip people off in some shape, form, or fashion, um, and there's some type of hustle. And the fact that we live in a society where it's like you need a side hustle, you gotta. What do you like? You like to do this hobby? You need to turn into making money. You need to be a social media star. You need to like work three or four different side hustles and your regular job. It's like when do you have time to enjoy your life? The goal of this capitalist society is just have regular people just like work until they die, while a few rich assholes live like fucking gods on this in, in, on this earth, and they can pass their wealth on to their younger generation, and, and the endless cycle continues. But climate change is here; it's already here. And we should just call it global warming. And mm-hmm. Mother Nature will balance itself back out. And as George Carlin said, the earth can shake us off like a surface nuisance, nuisance like fleas. Just, ugh. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely agree with that. Um, capitalism will destroy itself. And we're, we're heading on that cliff. And I think, you know, regular everyday people are going to have to wake up and stand up to it. And I know it's hard in a country like this. Because words like socialism is demonized. And these are not new ideas. This wasn't something that Marx pulled out of his ass. He just studied indigenous societies across the world and synthesized it for the Western Western uh, reader. But these ideas of um, democracy, of a uh, central federal central, central uh, federal power um, being controlled and uh, controlling a conglomerate of states this wasn't created by the United States. That was, you know, created by the Iroquois um, Native American in, uh, in the Northeast. Impeaching a ruler is a, a based off of Aztec tradition. So, so a lot of our ideas, our democratic and socialist ideas, come from indigenous peoples of uh, the Americas, of Africa, of Asia. And all Mars did was take that and just write it down and and let it be consumed for um, the Western masses. So, and then, you know, the powers they be demonize it over the decades, <laughs> over the centuries. So we uh, always like to end on solutions. So this, this one's simple. Just do whatever you can in your own small way to bring on the socialist revolution. <laughs> <laughs> um, you got a, uh, a quote, Lorna? Well, yeah, and this other solution is just kind of know that you don't have to read all the theory and stuff like that. Um, when people, you know, say these words, I just, just be an asshole and just be like, when there's like... It, because I know people listen to this podcast, especially those who do not agree with us and who call themselves capitalists, even those capitalists with no capital, and be like, you goddamn commie cucks, you're socialist, you're goddamn socialist. Ask them to define what socialism is. And when they say it's when the government does stuff, one of the capitalist system, our government does lots of stuff. They lock people in jail, they bomb little children in Afghanistan, they send drones, they, you know, have cootie ties and fucking foreign nations for fucking bananas so, so, and lithium shout out to elon musk um so yeah, so yeah i mean I, I do recommend i do recommend reading theory you know reading theory if you can but you don't have to and i i think i have i wrote another quote down here from che Guevara where he said uh for us there is no valid de- definition of socialism other than the abolish the abolition of the exploitation of one human being of another so that's a pretty simple way you can put it too. Yep. But uh, do you, you got a quote, Lerner? Yeah, I got a quote by uh, Eugene V. Debs, the famous um, um, political leader, union organizer, and um, socialist and all-around badass. Uh, whenever His quote is, whenever capitalism appears in the pursuit of its mission of exploitation, there will be socialism. 
fertilized by misery, watered by tears, vitalized by agitation, be also found, unfurling its class struggle banner and proclaiming its mission of emancipation. So really, in the end of the day, socialism is about um, collectively coming together um, as a people and that all people are welcome. Because even in our socialist, me and our leftist circles, I see this online and even in real life in these discussions, uh, people are like, well, we, you know, and we wouldn't bring in the sex workers because like what they do is morally wrong. It's like, you know what? No, it's not. That's only because of what our society thinks about sex. But they are workers just like everybody else. Um, we all sell our, our some part of our body for labor, um, whether you're a construction worker, plumber, uh, an educator, um, a professor, you're writing thoughts down that you come up with and like me creating books and papers and you're selling that to your labor in that way, your brain power to like, you know, to to pay for your car and house and shit like that. Just like a construction worker, just like a sex worker. So all workers, um, no matter their trade, no matter their collar, blue or white, should be part of the uh, revolution. Yep. And I have uh, uh, two quotes because I can never pick just one. Um, first one is from Dom Helder Kamara, uh, where he says, when I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist. And then the next, <laughs> the second one is from Leon Trotsky, uh, who said, as long as human labor, power, and consequently life itself remain articles of sale and purchase of exploitation and robbery, the principle of the sacredness of human life remains a shameful lie uttered with the object of keeping the oppressed slaved in their chains. So, yep, new economic system, guys. That's what it's all about. Um, we're going to share. I got a shit ton of documentaries and articles in this one. So uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Q Culture, Q-U-E-C-U-L-T-U-R-E. Um, you can also check out Lornette's blog, The Evolving Man Project. He posts more on there. Um, and we got a lot of awesome uh, episodes lined up for this year. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We love you all. Um, don't forget to question everything. Any views or opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to Brian and Lornette and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that Brian and Lornette may or may not be associated with in any professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.